Thanks for joining us here at New Song Church, where we are helping people to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. If you have any questions at all or just want to learn more about us as a church, you can check us out online at mynsc.org. It's the best way to stay connected with us throughout your week. And now, check out this week's sermon. Good morning. It is great to be here today. I have been looking forward to this day since like back in December. Uh, that's when uh, Pastor Justin called me up and said, I'm going to be on sabbatical. Would you like to preach while I'm gone? And I, I jumped on that opportunity and said, sure, I'd love to. And said, so he said, so you got, you got three Sundays. And so immediately I started praying about what God would have me bring during these Sundays. And uh, God kept leading me to the book of Exodus. I think God has that, uh, that book in mind for us for this time. Last week, uh, we, we heard from, from Exodus, and it kind of set the stage for what we're going to hear today. But I started uh, thinking, well, you know, I've only got three Sundays. Exodus is a long book. There's so, there's so many different accounts in that uh, account of the Exodus that are so uh, great at describing God's greatness and, and just so powerful uh, in application to our lives. And, and uh, so I, I just kind of went back and, and started reading through, and uh, I've taught through it before, so I pulled my old notes out and and started, and thought, oh, this, you know, this, this is a good one. Uh, and then the next section, or the, this is a good one. And then the next section, that's a good one too. And there's like 20 different sections that I had taught on. And they're, they're all so good. And uh, I thought, well, I, I, you know, I felt like the old uh, Lay's potato chip commercial. You know, you can only eat just one. No, you can't just eat one. And I had this bag full of sermons, and, and you can't just preach three. Um, so which, which ones are, am I going to preach? And uh, soon after that, um, here in worship, we sang a song that we just sang just a few minutes ago. And it's like God said, there's your template. I want you to take from the book of Exodus which passages show that God is the way maker. Which ones show that he is the miracle worker, that he's the, the promise giver, that he's the light in the darkness? And so today we are going to get to know God a little bit better as the way maker. We need to know that God is the way maker. We need to trust that God is the way maker and he's always the way maker. You know, it's easy to trust that he's the way maker when he opens a way through an ocean and lets a whole nation walk through on dry ground. It's easy to say, yeah, God's a way maker then. But what about the times that he doesn't? What about the times when it seems like we're going nowhere? It seems like there isn't a way. What about the times when we run into a dead-end road and we're, we're frustrated and confused and say, why would we end up here if God is leading the way? Kind of reminds me of uh, one time a lot of years ago, uh, my kids were still in their early teens at that time, and they had been after us for years to, uh, to let them have a dog. And so for years we had said, no, we have a lot of good reasons why we don't need a dog. And uh, one week, Deb got the flu. She was really sick. I had a bad cold. I was really sick. We were both feeling really down. We didn't want to hassle with anything. And so the kids got us at a weak moment, and we said, yes, you can have a dog. We went temporarily insane. And uh, so <clears throat> but we told them, no puppies. We're not going to do the potty training thing. 
And uh, so we, we opened up the newspaper to the used dog section and uh, found a two-year-old dog. And so Gizmo came into our home. It was like in March. Well, when summer came, we remembered one of the reasons why we didn't want a dog. What do you do with it when you're on vacation? And uh, somebody recommended a kennel. So I called the kennel up, said we need to make a reservation for our dog uh, while we're on vacation. So they said, sure, we have an opening. And I said, where are you located? And so they began to give me directions how to get there. Now, this was back in the dark ages. We didn't have smartphones. Um, we didn't have GPS. We didn't have Siri telling us the exact way to get anywhere. Uh, and so when somebody said, this is how you get there, you had to write down the directions. And so that's what I started to do. And uh, ended up with like this long list of country roads that I had to take to go like six and a half miles out of town to get to this kennel. <clears throat> so vacation day comes. I throw the dog in the car get my directions, we, we head for the kennel, and the very last leg of the direction said, go left on this gravel road that didn't even have a name, I think it just had a letter, and go 1.7 miles until you see a green barn with two silos. Turn right at the green barn with two silos on a dirt road, and the kennel, you'll see it on the left. So I followed the directions, 1.7 miles, there's the barn with the silos, turned right on the dirt road and did not see the kennel, but what I did see was a big yellow sign that said dead end. I thought, this is not looking good for me being able to get this dog to the kennel and get on vacation, especially when after that sign, there was another sign that said bridge out. And after that sign, there was another sign that was that was tacked onto a barrier that said road closed. And I'm thinking something's telling me I am not going to find the kennel by going down this road. And I started to get a little bit frustrated and, and actually angry. I'm like, what, is, what in the world? Why would they give me directions and tell me to go down a dead end closed road? And that's a frustrating situation, but doesn't even compare to when we run into much more important dead-end roads in life. I mean, whether or not I found the kennel didn't really matter in the bigger picture of things. But when you get into a job that you think is going to take you to a productive career and that job ends up being a dead-end job, now that's a problem. And that's frustrating. And we certainly don't want to get into a relationship that ends up being labeled dead-end relationship. We want that relationship to be fulfilling and take us somewhere. We don't want our investments to be dead-end investments. They're supposed to go up and to the right on the chart, and they're supposed to be rewarding for the trust we put in the company that we invested in. Those kinds of things are creating for us and can be actually life-changing for us. And so when we run into those things, especially when we feel like God was the one who took us there, God was the one who brought us to the job. God was the one who brought us to the relationship, who, who prompted us to do the investing, who prompted us to take that road, and it, that, and it ends up going nowhere. It ends up being a dead-end situation. And then we really scratch our heads in frustration and say, God, why in the world would you take me to, the, to this dead-end road? You, are you really the waymaker? Do you really know what you're doing? And so, what do we do? 
That's the very question that uh, the Israelites asked God when they end up, ended up, you know, between the devil and the deep red sea. Um, God said, I want you to, to leave Egypt. I'm going to take you on this road to new freedom. I'm going to take you on this road to a new home, to a new area, to a new life. And everything is going to be better for you. And yet they ended up in a place where, where they were literally at a dead end road. They had an ocean in front of them that they could not cross. They had mountains on either side of them that they could not climb. And they had the most powerful army in the world behind them with swords drawn ready to take their lives. That's what you call a dead end road. And so obviously that would be scary, frustrating to them. And they said, now what do we do? And God answered that question in Exodus chapter 14 and verse 13. And God said in that this dead end situation and in any dead end situation, this is what I want you to do. Stand firm and you will see you need only to be still. Or we could put it this way, kind of use this as a, as a title of my message today. When we come to dead end situations in, in life, don't just do something, stand there which doesn't sound very helpful to us because we are action people. We want to do something to solve the problem. But God says, when you come to this kind of situation, this is the instruction that you actually need on how to trust me as the way maker. And so we're going to learn how to trust God today as the way maker, that he is always the way maker, even when he leads us to dead end roads in places where we don't think we should be. So today, we need to trust God basically in three ways. We glean these from what he said to his people in that situation. Number one, trust God's guidance. When you run into a dead-end situation, trust God's guidance. When I was sitting in my car, staring at that dead-end, road-closed sign, my, my first thought was, I know I didn't make a mistake. <laughs> I wrote the directions right. What was wrong with these people who, who gave me the directions? Why did they direct me in this way? Something is wrong with them. And that's why it was so frustrating for the people of Israel. They knew they had followed God's directions to the letter. They knew that they hadn't misunderstood where he was taking them. Because God directed them in the most obvious way possible. We can go back to chapter 13, beginning in verse 21. And it says that when they left Egypt, by the day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud. In other words, God says, this is how I'm going to give you directions. I'm going to appear in a pillar of cloud, this mammoth cloud that's going to go in front of you. And by night, it's going to be a pillar of fire. And whenever that moves, you know that that's me directing you. You just follow the pillar. And you'll always be following my directions. And so God directed them in the most obvious way possible. Even I couldn't mess up directions like that. So the question is why? Why was God so obvious when he directed them? Was it because they didn't know how to get from Egypt to Canaan? No, it was because they did. 
Everybody knew how to get from Egypt to Canaan because there were common roads that went that direction. In fact, three of them or two of them are mentioned in the text for us. The first one in chapter 13, verse 17, God uh, even describes them. It says, when, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road. Why was there a road there? Because people traveled there often. He didn't lead them on the road to the Philistine country, even though that was shorter. This was the shortest route from point A to point B. And when I say that, every guy in the room says, okay, that's the route I want. You know, when I'm going somewhere, I, I don't want to waste time. I don't want to take too much time. I want to make good time. So, so we're going to take the shortest route between A and B so that we can get there the fastest. On the map here, we see that on the top. That was the commercial route. Time is money when you're doing business. And so the traders would take their, their uh, camels and the, their mule trains and their goods, and they would go the quickest route possible. But the text tells us that that commercial route is not the way God took them. Why? Because it was dangerous. It took them to the wrong part of town. There were people there ready to attack and rob them. And if they met that, they may, may turn around and not want to go there. So God says, let's, let's try a different road. Verse 18, chapter 13. God led the people around by the desert road. Again, there was a road there. Why? Because people traveled that often. This one was closer to the Red Sea in the, in the blue line. We call that the common route. This was the bypass. Okay. This went around the dangerous territory of the Philistines. This was the route that people took on their everyday travels. If, you, if you're going to go uh, visit your aunt and uncle in Palestine, you would go this way to avoid the hassles of the commercial route. And that's the way God started to take the people of Israel. But then in chapter 14 and verse one, it says, the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to turn. If you have an NIV Bible, it says, tell the Israelites to turn back. The word back is not in the original language. It's basically literally saying, tell the Israelites to make a sharp right hand turn and go down by the ocean and camp there. Now we can call this the confused route. It's a, it's a sharp right hand turn that either took them down by the, the uh, Gulf of Suez on your left or the Gulf of Aqaba on your right. There's actually um, quite a bit of archaeological evidence that it was the Gulf of Aqaba that was the Red Sea, which would really trap them down in that V of Sinai. But either way, God says, I want you to, to make a right-hand turn. And did you notice what God didn't say there? He didn't say on the road that went down there by the Red Sea because there wasn't a road. Now they're off-road. Why? Because nobody went that way. Nobody went that way if they were going from Egypt to Canaan. They didn't go that way because you couldn't get to Canaan by going that way. You'd be stuck down there in the, in the peninsula. And so we, call, we can call that the confused route because only crazy people would go that way. And yet God took them that way. So it, it raises the question again, why would God do that? And the answer basically is because God's ways are not our 
ways. It doesn't make sense to go that way. And God says it doesn't make sense to you, but your way is not my way. My way is not your way. Our ways are not God's ways. But didn't God know that nobody went that way? Absolutely. He knew it. In fact, he said, so look what it says in the, in the next verse, verse three of chapter 14 of Exodus, Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion. (laughs) They're confused. Why? Because they took the wrong way. Nobody goes that way. Didn't God know that nobody goes that way? Yes, he knew that. Didn't God know that it was a dead end? Absolutely. Verse 3 continues. And they will be hemmed in by the desert. God knew they would be hemmed in between the two oceans and the desert. Didn't God know that would put them in a situation where they would be trapped? Of course God knew that. In verse 4, and I will harden Pharaoh's hearts and he will pursue them. He will send the most powerful army in the world after them and they'll be trapped. That sounds like a loving heavenly father, doesn't it? (laughs) Why would God put his children in the situation that would be so dangerous and a situation that they could not escape? Because God knows where we be rather than where we want to be. He knows something that we don't know. He can see things that we can't see. And so God's ways aren't our ways because he knows so much that we don't know. Which is usually different than what we think we know. And where we need to be is usually different than where we want to be. Notice what it says in Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 9. As the heavens are higher than the earth. So are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. God sees things from a higher perspective. So as I'm sitting there on that gravel road, looking at these signs that give every indication that you can't get there from here. I thought, well, I need to turn around and maybe go a different route. And so I went around the barrier, went up on a hill And in Iowa, when you can find a hill, it's a monumentous thing. And uh, I was on this hill, and you can see for miles. And once I got to the top of the hill, I could look down to where the road stopped. And just before the road stopped, there was a little lane that went back to a kennel. From the perspective of height, I could see things that I couldn't see when I thought you couldn't get there from here. God sees things from a higher perspective, you know, and God doesn't just see things from a hill. God doesn't just see things from the clouds. He doesn't see things just from, from the the sky lab. It says, as the heavens are higher than the earth, that's how high my perspective is. He's talking about a universal perspective. He can see the entire universe and the very little speck that our earth is and the very little Creatures that we are in that. But God knows from that perspective where we need to be. He knows what we don't know. And so God has a different plan, a different road, a different way, because he has a different goal. And that's the the second area of trust. We need to trust God's goal. We need to trust his objective. We need to, to, to trust his plan. 
to trust his destination. You know, the destination for the Israelites, the primary goal was not Canaan. The primary destination that God had in mind for them was, was not a better life in a better country to be free and have a more comfortable existence. He had a much higher goal and plan that was much more important than that. What did God have in mind? And why was taking them to that dead-end situation such an important part of the plan? He explains it so clearly. In chapter 14, uh, verse 4, he says in the last part of the verse, I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh. That's it. That's the plan. And we hear that and we say, well, isn't that rather self-serving of God? I mean, isn't it rather self-serving that God would gain glory by taking his children to a dangerous place in a situation and frustrate the daylights out of them because they don't know where they're going and they're stuck? And the answer is no. It's not self-serving at all, especially if we understand two shades of meaning in what, what God was saying here. The word glory literally means to put stock in or wait upon, which is what? We do when we trust, right? You are trusting the seat that you're sitting on. You're trusting that it will hold you up and you won't go crashing to the floor. That's the word glory to put weight upon or trust in combined with the word through. I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh. The word through is elsewhere translated over. So we could read it this way. I will gain trust over Pharaoh. I want my people and my people need to trust me more than more than they trust Pharaoh. I need my people and they, my people both then and now need to trust God more than the most powerful leader in the world. We need to trust God's power more than the most powerful armies in the world. We need to trust God more than the biggest bank account in the world. And that's what God was saying. My people, both then and now, need to put more stock and trust in his power, perspective, knowledge, and wisdom than Pharaoh's or anybody else's, even their own. I love a story that Max Licato tells in, in his book, The Eye of the Storm, He said, one time I took my daughter, Andrea, on a walk. She was only four years old at the time, and she was really curious, and so we went to explore the neighborhood. Let's cover some new territory, I suggested, and so off we went, striding confidently out of the safe harbor of our cul-de-sac, stepping into unknown regions. Captain Kirk would have been so proud. The area was brand new to her. We walked down streets that she had never seen. We petted dogs that she had never touched. It was virgin territory, like wilderness wanderings. The yards were different. The kids looked older. The houses looked bigger. And I thought all this change might trouble her. I thought the new sights and sounds might generate some anxiety in her. Are you okay? I asked. Sure, she said. Do you know where we are? Nope. Do you know how to get home? Nope. So aren't you afraid? And without even slowing her pace, she reached up and she took my hand and said, I don't need to know how to get home. You already do. We don't need to know where God's taking us. He already knows. 
We don't need to know why God's taking us there. He already knows. And in time, he might reveal that to us. In time, he might not. But he already knows. And so we need to trust his goal. We need to trust his, his plan. Even when he leads us into a trap and Pharaoh is closing in. That was literally the situation for the psalmist who wrote Psalm 46. The armies were closing in. The people were under attack. Every indicator said that they would probably lose their lives. And so the psalmist wrote these words in verses 9 and 10. God makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. God can handle this. <laughs> Even when the, the armies are coming down on us and besieging us, God can handle this. And so then the psalmist reached back into the book of Exodus and quoted the very same thing that God told his people when they were at the dead end road of the Red Sea. He said, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted amongst the nations. I will be exalted in all the world. Through this, you will put me higher on your trust list than anything in this world. So God uses these dead end roads as opportunities for him to reveal to us how amazing he really is. But it doesn't stop there. It's not just about us. It's about a bigger picture plan once again. It goes far beyond us. Notice what God said in chapter 14, verse 4, as we continue to read again. It says, I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh or over Pharaoh and his army. And notice what he said. And the Egyptians will know that I am Yahweh, Jehovah, the creator and savior of the whole world. I can show them who I am. They desperately need to know who I am and they need to trust who I am, but I can't trust that on the easy route to go to Canaan. I can't accomplish that in their hearts and minds, but they will see that when they see you at this dead end road and how I handle it. Trust God's bigger picture perspective in his goal. That at times he can receive more glory and more trust and do more in and through us on the ways that he makes that are difficult rather than the well-traveled easy routes that we would prefer. So we need to trust that he is accomplishing that goal. And we also need to trust that he is doing it all the time because he's good. He is good when he directs us in ways that we don't get. He's good when we get frustrated and think that it's, it's the wrong direction. So we need to trust God's goodness. His ways, his plans, his goals are not only for his glory, not only to gain our trust, but also for our good. Which brings us to another assurance that God gave to people who were in another dead-end situation. God's people had been taken captive. The enemy had come. The enemy had besieged Israel. The enemy won. And they took the people captive and they carried them back to a foreign land called Babylon. And for all appearances, the people of Israel were at another dead end road 
Why would God allow this to happen? Why would God take us here? And that's when God gave the words that are so familiar to us in Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to what? To prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. It, it wasn't a dead end road. There was a future involved, and there was a future that would be better for them if they would just learn to trust that God is good, and He is doing good things. Let's go back to our text in chapter 14, verse 19. Chapter 14, verse 19 says, Then, when God says, Be still, see what I'm going to do, just trust me, then the angel of God who had been traveling in front of the, the Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud, uh, uh, throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other side, so neither went near each other all night long. Trust that God's goodness is good enough to deliver us from anything that will destroy the best plans he has for his future, for our future. God is good enough to keep us from anything that will destroy his best rather than just mediocre. God knows it's best at times to come to a dead end road because it's there at the dead end road that we understand that he is the way maker. He is the way maker, not just through the Red Sea. He is the way maker to the Red Sea. And we need to trust that when he takes us to the Red Sea, it allows us to know him not only as the way maker, but the miracle worker. That's when they saw the miracle. That's when they saw him divide the sea so that they could walk through on dry ground. And that's when they saw God's victory over those who would prevent him from doing the things that they needed that would be best in their lives. They needed to see him as the way maker so that they could understand he truly is the miracle worker. But they would have missed all that had they continued on the way, the common route, the route of their choosing, the route that would have been more convenient to them and skipped the dead end situation. They would have missed it. If we don't just do something on our own, but we stand and we wait on God, we will see him as the miracle worker. That's basically what it says in Isaiah 40, 31. It says, Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and they shall not faint. And by the way, waiting on the Lord, waiting on God to do what he's going to do, even in that situation, even if we're trusting, waiting on God isn't just marking time. Okay, God. Okay, I'm just going to I'm just going to mark time, pull out my phone, start scrolling through Facebook. Has God done anything yet? No, let's get No, that's not what waiting on God is. It's not inactivity. You know, when you go to a restaurant, you you have somebody who waits on you. The waiter or the waitress comes and waits on you. What do they do? They serve you. That's what waiting on God is all about. Okay, God, I trust you, but the whole time I trust you, I'm going to keep serving you. 
I'm going to keep worshiping you. I'm going to keep praising you. I'm going to keep letting everybody know that you are God and you are worthy. It's about running to him. It's about walking behind him. It's about trusting his lead. And when we do, eventually, eventually, he will take us to a place that is just perfect for him to show us that he is a miracle worker. You know, earthly life is dead in road. Mortality rates 100%, always has been. Earthly life is a dead end road without Jesus Christ. But Jesus said, and I love this because Jesus was knowing this whole thing about God being the way maker. And Jesus said, I am the way. I am the road that God's been, prepare, been preparing all the way from the beginning when man walked away from God and chose to sin and do our own thing. Jesus said, I am the way that's back to God. I am the truth of what that's about, and I am the life. And with me, there is no such thing as a dead-end road. So today, will you let Jesus run your life? Will you trust him to be the way maker? Will you trust him to be the miracle worker that he may or may not show that kind of thing in your lifetime here, but he will in eternity? Will you trust him today? Father, we need to know you as the way maker and we need to trust you. We can go years wondering if you're leading us in the right direction. Father, I know that there are some people here today that are in those dead-end situations. There are people here that are in a dead-end relationship, maybe even a dead-end marriage, and they're going, why? this all about God why did you let this happen in my life show them today father that you are the way maker and you are the miracle worker help them to trust you and to follow Jesus as their as their deliverer as a direction giver father we financial situations exist here that seem like dead ends to us and yet you are the way maker father just to work situations that are frustrating. You are the way maker. In every area of our lives, you are the way maker. So we bow before you today. We surrender control to you today. We let you lead and we will follow in Jesus' name. Amen. As a church, it's our honor to play a small part in what God is doing through your life. And we would love to continue on that journey. To find out what your next steps could be in your relationship with Christ, all you have to do is go to mynsc.org connect. Thank you to all of you who consistently give, serve, and pray. You are the ones that God is using to truly make a difference in our community as we live out our mission of leading people to become fully devoted followers of Christ. We hope you tune in next week.